Good morning. Happy Father's Day. Easter Sunday morning, April 16, 1995, was a beautiful day. We held our first Sunday morning worship service in the new building that you know as the Foundry on Sunrise Road. The foundation was in, the floors were in, the exterior walls were up, there was no roof, but we didn't need a roof that day because it was just a beautiful spring morning. And we had a wonderful, wonderful service there uh, as our first uh, service in that building. After we finished up and cleaned up, uh, it was our joy as a family to have uh, Easter Sunday dinner with another family friend, group of friends of ours at the old Colonial Inn in Hillsboro. And then we came home ready to enjoy just a leisurely Sunday afternoon together there at the house. Sometime late that afternoon, the phone rang. It was my mom and she sounded disturbed or distracted. And after a few uh, pleasantries, she said, Dad wants to talk to you. Okay. So Dad came on the line and he said, Son, I have some sad news to share with you. Uh-oh, okay. He said, um, I went to the doctor Friday. They think I have cancer. So, oh, no. April 16th started us on a journey that we did not want to go on. It was pancreatic cancer. He lasted three months. He was gone July the 20th. I couldn't believe it. He was my hero. This guy, he was an all-state basketball player in high school in Kentucky for two years in a row. A local legend in his hometown, a railroad man, the ultimate people person, funny as all get out and fun to be around. Like me, he was a fan of the Kentucky Wildcats at the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. I'm not sure how that works, but it works somehow. He was the second career pastor. He was a man of God, loved his family, and he was my number one human example and encourager. And he was gone. He made a huge impact in my life but the number one contribution he made to my life was to live in such a way that I knew I could trust him no matter what. And because I could trust him that way, I learned that I could trust God that way. We live in a culture full of father pain. It should not be that way but unfortunately, it is the case for far too many. Pain.
pain from the absence of a dad in a person's life, pain from the presence of a mean or abusive dad in a person's life, pain from the lack of interest or involvement of a dad in a person's life. He's there, but he's not really there. Pain from conflict over everything coming and going between dad and son or daughter. Pain from passing on to your children the pain you experienced from your dad. And maybe that goes back for several generations in your family. Pain, because we live in a broken world, that's as full of pain as it is of joy. The risk of portraying God as our Father is that we run that concept through the grid of our own personal experience. I do not know what your personal experience with your earthly father has been like, but I want you to know that we want to be sensitive about that this morning. If you had a bad dad, I'm sorry. It shouldn't have been that way. If you're someone who had the good fortune to be raised by a healthy, trustworthy dad, you have a good frame of reference to understand who God the Father is. He is a good, good Father. If you're someone who does not have that particularly positive experience from which to draw, your temptation will be to distrust God because you can't trust the man who helped raise you or wasn't there to help raise you. The bottom line here is about us and our family situation, we're all screwed up, okay? It's been that way from the start. There have been no perfect parents ever. The first two messed up right out of the gate. And one of their sons ended up murdering his brother. And the sad thing is, Adam and Eve had the only perfect parent there was. God Almighty himself. But his two kids messed up from the start. So even with a perfect father, there are no guarantees in this fallen world. Jesus said it himself, there is only one who is good, and that is God. The rest of us, not so much. But the good news is that this perfect father understands his children and has proven that he will move heaven and earth if he has to, to meet whatever needs we have. Listen to this story that Jesus told. It's from Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The youngest son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. 
Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you were always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of God. And we believe it. There are three perspectives in this story that I want us to consider, to explore. The perspective of the good, good father, the perspective of the wayward son, and the perspective of the older brother. But first, let's briefly consider how all this plays out from the perspective of the fattened cat. <laughs> the perspective of the good, good father. 
There are three words that describe the spirit and attitude of this godly father. Grace, mercy, and compassion. In grace, he provided everything the family needed for their comfort and enjoyment. His house was a haven of peace, a safe place for boys to grow up, a place where he sacrificed so his children could have what they needed and apparently what they wanted. We get the impression that he was extremely extravagant in his generosity. The story, as you know, has been called the story of the prodigal son. And prodigal is used in that sense as being wasteful, selfish and foolish with the use of his resources. But the prodigal in the story is actually the father because the proper, more focused meaning of prodigal is actually extravagantly generous to a fault. That's this father. His youngest son comes to him and asks for his inheritance early. Really? And the dad figures up the value of his third. In that culture, the oldest male child received a double portion. In this case, two-thirds, which would be reserved for the older brother. Then the younger brother brashly asks for his third, and the father gives it to him. I want to issue a disclaimer here. Parables are stories with a point. The generous spirit of grace in the Father's heart is the point of this story. Please do not hear Jesus saying that your Heavenly Father is lavishly generous, but not very wise. Your Heavenly Father is both good and wise. That's why, for instance, He does not answer every prayer you pray with a yes. I'm not a perfect father, but even I'm smart enough to know better than to do that for my children. So along with grace, we see his spirit of mercy. And the first time we see it is in the wayward son's mind. After he has completely blown the whole pile of cash that his father gave him, he ends up in the pig pen the last place a good Jewish boy wants to find himself. And the pigs are eating better than he is. At this moment, the memory of a merciful father turns this boy's heart toward home. He knows he will be received back into the house. His father will not turn him away. So he heads back home. The second place we see the father's mercy is in his response to the sight of his son in the distance. Did you catch what the father did? He ran to him. I'm told in that culture, adult men did not run. It was beneath their dignity. It was something they just did not do. But this merciful dad, spurred by a spirit of compassion, 
took off running. He gathered his robe up in his arms, his old man legs showing, black socks up to his knees. And you know he was wearing sandals with those black dress socks. He didn't care. Listen to him. All out of breath, filled with compassion, overflowing with mercy. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Grace, mercy, compassion. That's what he knew he would find, and that's exactly what he found when he got back home. Do you get it? Do you understand he still smelled like a pig? Listen carefully. This is important. He did not have to get himself cleaned up and presentable before his father would accept him. All he had to do was turn his heart toward home. He knew his father would take care of the cleaning up. He just needed to come home. That brings me to the three words I want to mention about the wayward son. Conviction, turning, and confession. When he hit the bottom, starving and alone, a spirit of conviction came over him. It says, when he came to his senses. When our spirit of rebellion or prideful self-will has taken us to places we said we would never go and held us there longer than we said we would ever stay, and pushed us deeper into overwhelming shame than we could ever imagine. There is a still, small voice that whispers to our heart, you can always come home. Do you know that voice? Do you know your father's voice? If it's a voice of accusation and doubt and condemnation, that is not your father's voice. Your father's voice is a voice of grace and mercy and compassion that breaks through the fog and clears your heart and mind and draws you back to him. Listen to your father's voice. That's the voice this young man heard clearly among the derision of the far country farmer and the grunts of the pigs. And it brought to him a sense of conviction. Godly conviction has two aspects. First, it has the aspect of convicting us of our wrongdoing and our wrong thinking. But it also has the aspect of convincing us of the unfailing and inexhaustible grace, mercy, compassion, of our Heavenly Father. When he came to himself, he recognized he was in a pig pen for crying out loud, and he remembered the face of his father. 
That conviction leads to turning. Turning away from everything else and turning to the only thing that will set us free from our misery and our bondage. For this kid, it was turning toward home. No matter how many twists and turns there were in his path, he was headed in only one direction. He was headed home. And what was he doing with every step? Rehearsing his confession. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. You can hear him, can't you? I just want to come home. Those of us who are in the Wesleyan family of the church appreciate the experience of John Wesley. He was raised in a preacher's home. His mother was a saint. He went away to college and with some friends formed the Holy Club. The Holy Club? Kind of like crew or intervarsity on steroids. <laughs> After he graduated, they sent him to America to be a missionary. Well, that didn't work out very well. I came to save the Indians, he said, but who will save me? Through a series of God-directed events and encounters, on May 24, 1738, he found himself in a Bible study group on Aldersgate Street in London. They were studying the book of Romans. The leader was reading from Luther's preface to his commentary on the epistle to the Romans, and Wesley said at about a quarter till nine, I felt my heart strangely warm. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. An assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. He was later to use the analogy of what it meant to move from being a servant of God, which he had been before this incident, to becoming a son of God, a child of God. That was the cornerstone of his message from that time forward, that there is the possibility to have this kind of relationship with a loving God who desires to love us. That's what this young man experienced. He was willing to settle for being a servant, but his father wanted him back as a son. His conviction led to his turning and tearful confession, which led him straight into the open arms of his gracious, merciful, and compassionate father. And his older brother heard the music and saw the dancing and came out shouting, glory, hallelujah, my brother is back. <laughs> when your teaching pastor uses this passage to speak to young people, he makes these two points with them. The first you'll recognize if you're a Tolkien fan, or you may have seen it on a bumper sticker or on the spare tire cover on the back of a Jeep. All those who wander are not lost. According to this story, at least, not lost for good. Because in all our wandering, 
Every turn we make, we continue to come face to face with the Heavenly Father who is seeking us. That happened with the boy in the pig pen. It happened with the older brother. The father came out to where he was. But then your teaching pastor, referencing this older brother, makes this statement. Not all who are lost wander. You see, the older brother never went anywhere. He stayed home, stayed busy, never did anything to disappoint his dad, worked there on the farm, did the daily duty. So you would think he would be the model citizen, right? Have you ever heard the saying of Jesus from the heart the mouth speaks. You've experienced it. Whatever is in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. You know what I'm talking about. Those, did I just say that out loud? Moments. So when his brother returns, what comes out of the father's mouth? Grace, mercy, compassion. What comes out of the wayward son's mouth? Conviction. Turning and confession. What comes out of the older brother's mouth? Resentment, a judgmental spirit, and rejection. He resents that his brother has the audacity to show back up here in this condition with pig smell all over him. He resents his father's response of grace. And we discover in his words... He resents his job on the farm. All these years I've been slaving for you, he adds. Never disobeying you. As if obedience to a gracious, merciful, and compassionate father is such a chafing chore. Resentment, judgmental spirit, and, re and rejection. Did you catch this? This son of yours. Did you catch the father's general rebuke? This brother of yours. In case we might miss it, I want to say that a central part of grace, mercy, and compassion is that it refuses to leave us where we are. It refuses to overlook our sin. Our Heavenly Father loves us too much to leave us in our sin or to leave that sin that would destroy us if not dealt with unchallenged. So in grace, mercy, and compassion, he drags our sinful actions and attitudes out into the light. He points at them, he calls them what they are, and he invites us to walk away from them. That doesn't seem very graceful, very merciful, very compassionate when we're going through it. But it is. I also want to mention this, that Jesus is contrasting here in this story those who only practice an empty religion with those who have a joyful relationship 
with God their Heavenly Father. Here's one of the blind spots of those people who never wander but are still lost. Those religious people. And it shows up every time with them. They are big on their condemnation of the sins of the flesh. They pounce on those, but they almost always miss the sins of the Spirit. If you read through Jesus' parables, you'll see, and you look at his teachings and you consider his miracles, you will see that he has grace, mercy, and compassion on those caught in the sins of the flesh. Your sins are forgiven, he told more than one of those folks. But he really bears down on the sins of the Spirit. So hard sometimes you almost feel sorry for the Pharisees. Not really, but you almost feel sorry. <laughs> Why is that? Here's my guess. If you see someone with a shotgun wound, you know they need help. But cancer is the silent killer. We move to fix the apparent problem, but God, seeing the heart, knows if the hidden problem goes unexposed, we die. Don't be that religious guy. Let the father deal with the wayward son or daughter. You focus on hearing the father's heart and aligning with the father's spirit, that spirit of grace, mercy, and compassion. As you have the opportunity, be like the father. Show his heart and spirit to others. If you're a dad, especially show that spirit to those little ones committed to your care. If you've wandered away and messed up your life, come home. If you're a saint and proud of it, you need to nail that prideful spirit to the cross and allow God to fill you with the spirit of the Heavenly Father. Let me close with the story of just how God feels about us. You may have heard it in several different versions. But this is the certified, true, genuine, and accurate version. There was a son who had angry words with his mom and dad. It boiled up out of hand. He said some things he never should have said. Ended up by saying he never wanted to see him again. Slammed the door and left. We've all been on the wrong side of that door. And we know where that leads. And for him, over a period of time, it began to lead to a sense of deep remorse. So much so that eventually he just wanted to go home. He didn't know if he'd be welcome home. 
He didn't want to have this conversation on the telephone with them. He wanted to have it face to face with them. So he wrote them a letter. This is in the 30s when people traveled by train. And he told them, I will be on such and such a train on such and such a day. And he knew that the train would roll right past his backyard. And he told his mom and dad, I want to come home. And if it's okay for me to come home, just hang a white towel on a limb of the apple tree in the backyard. If I see that towel hanging there, and I'll know it's okay to come home. If I don't see it, I'll understand, and I'll keep going. Now, as in all good stories, it involves a train and a preacher. He happened to sit next to a preacher on the train. And as they're traveling, they're talking, and the young man tells the story. So they have a good talk. As they're approaching town, the young man's anxiety begins to build. And he tells the preacher, I can't bear to look. Will you look for me? He buries his face in his hands and waits to hear what the preacher has to say. And the preacher says, Son, every limb on every tree has something hanging from it. And I see an old gray-haired mom and dad on the back porch waving a bitchy. <laughs> I think it's okay to come home. That is how God feels about us. Our good, good father feels that way about you and me. He's standing on the back porch of heaven looking for us to come around the bend. He has sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to live among us to show us what he is like and to make it possible for, him, for us to come home. And his personal presence, the Holy Spirit, is whispering in our hearts right now, come on home. And every flag of heaven is flying a welcome. It's appropriate that there's a table set before us today. It's the Lord's table. It's not our table. And his invitation is clear in these historic words. You who are walking in fellowship with God and are in love and harmony with your neighbors, and you who do truly and earnestly repent of your sin and intend to lead a new life, following the commandments of God and walking from this time in his holy ways, draw near with faith and take this holy sacrament to your comfort and meekly make your humble confession to Almighty God. If you're living a life of grace, mercy, and compassion, we want to strengthen the presence of God in your life today. Come to the table. 
If you're running from God, but want to turn around and come home, you are invited. Come to the table. If you become aware of feelings of resentment, a judgmental spirit, or unkind rejection of others, make your humble confession to God. Then come to the table. If you're on the fence, checking this God stuff out, not quite ready to step across the line into the kingdom at this moment, you are welcome to observe and honor what we are doing, and you will not be judged for not joining in. But you are welcome to when you are ready, and we look forward to joining you at the table.